everybody. You're listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And it's December and we're going to keep, we're going to do what we did last year too, which is to do kind of a wrap up and some touching on various female characters we saw or read in a number of things over the years that we didn't either didn't talk about or just sort of summing it up a bit for 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we're going to open with feedback and actually we're going to open initially with rather old feedback because we never did circle back around to doing the feedback on the she season three episode that we did. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. We never did. And actually, at this point, season four has aired before we got around to the feedback. So, yeah. Um, We will be touching on season four, too, Yes, you want to take the first one? Yes, Ryan Daly. I haven't started watching this iteration of She-Ra yet, but hopefully I'll get around to it. I did want to mention, though, that you two brought up an excellent point that a coming out situation can be universal to every type of person. It doesn't have to be about sexuality or gender identity. So finding another scenario to humanize that moment can be a powerful moment for viewers. Good job. And he's referring to um, Bo coming out to his two dads. As As being part of the rebellion. As being part of the rebellion, which was a really sweet episode. And I still like squeal whenever I think of the Bo and his dad episode. (laughs) Bo, Bo makes me squeal a lot. I'm very, you, very fond of Bo. You like Bo. I mean, is he your favorite character or is he in contention? Because I feel like there's a couple. There's. It depends on the episode. So sometimes Fair he enough. is, yes. Sometimes it's Mermista. Sometimes it's him. Sometimes Scorpio's up there too for <laughs> me. So, yeah. Uh, next comment was from Rob. Not having grown up with She-Ra, Master of the, Masters of the Universe was really the last big new thing I was into before I felt myself too mature for such things. Haha, <laughs> joke's on me. I have no nostalgic affection for the property, but the bits I saw about the reboot made me think it looked cool. And when the incels screamed bloody murder about it, I figured it must be okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I will find the time to watch any of it, but YouTube did a good job of making it sound very appealing and fun. By the way, Liz's squeal of delight in this episode was the best nonverbal representation of our Find Your Joy mantra that has ever appeared in one of the network shows. I'm guessing I was probably squealing about Bo's dad. Probably, (laughs) at a guess. As I already stated, even months later, (laughs) that they are very squeal worthy. Okay, so Brian Linton says, My wife and I have yet to cross over to the dark side of subscribing to any streaming services, so I haven't been able to follow this incarnation of She-Ra, though I continue to hear great things about the series. I was able to watch the very first episode when we were visiting with friends, and I liked what I saw. I'm particularly glad that She-Ra seems to have successfully stepped out of He-Man's shadow. Thanks for another great episode. Yeah, there's no mention of He-Man... Four seasons in at this point. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm I not. Think I don't think be. they actually can. I mean, oh, I know, nice. I know Netflix has secured the rights for He Man as well now, and they're doing a separate show on that. But it's said to be deliberately a continuation of the original, so huh. I don't expect that to tie into this. And they were doing She-Ra before they had any rights to He Man, so I'm pretty sure they can't, which is fine by me. Yep. Uh, and then we we have a wonderful lengthy comment from Tim Price. Uh, sorry, I took so long to comment. No, don't worry, Tim. We took even longer to respond to it. <laughs> I know. That's how we roll. 
But it was simply that I have to watch season one of She-Ra and didn't want to get spoiled, so I needed time to catch up. Um, thank goodness season two is just seven episodes and three was six episodes. I hope you got through season four at this point. Um, this show has been a delight all the way, and season three was no exception. As usual, you both touched on so many things I agree with, so I'll keep uh, with my biggest impressions. Scorpia. Her unrequited crush on Catra is so obvious and adorable, it's easy to have affection for this antagonist. I think of her uh, as like a beefcake woman, like a bodybuilder guy who's all into his guns and pecs and not much going on upstairs. Scorpia's not that dumb, but close. She's just the best. And Trapta. Since I hadn't watched the original She-Ra series, I didn't know she was supposed to be a villain. And I agree, she really isn't even here. She works for the bad guys, but really works for science! Emphasis is his. Um, honestly, she's a full-on nerd, so of course I like her. The hair, her inventions, yes, even her voice, love it all. So my daughters and I were crushed when she switched teams. It's made for great stories and hasn't diminished my love for the character, but come on, Entrapta, come back. <laughs> Adora, she's a badass. The stories make it all about turning to She-Ra to save the day, but as Adora... She's smart, cunning, and as and a fighter that holds her own against Catra. She doesn't even have to be She-Ra. She chooses to. The slow unfolding mystery of her background has been great, and I look forward to more. Catra. She felt more or less like a flunky of the big bads of the Horde at the beginning, but it became apparent quickly that she wasn't staying in that role. She's the big villain of the series, and she has become scarier and scarier with each season. As you say, she will let everything burn to have Adora lose. Chilling. Adora, She-Ra, and Catra. The final episode of season three was magnificent. All this time, Adora believed I can get Catra to see my side and we'll be friends again. But in that final scene, you made your choices and Adora's look of I'm done with you, followed mm -hmm. by Catra sulking away with, with the oh scat impression. Fan-freaking-tastic. Cutest episode, the role-playing game. Oh, tiny Bo! <laughs> and Bo's two dads. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So great. Thank you for a delightful episode and for giving me the push I needed to catch up with the series. Until next time, my punchers, for the honor of Grayskull. Or as Mermista had it, for the honor of Grey Whales. <laughs> I love her, too. <laughs> um, so we've also got the feedback for uh, last month's episode, which was the Mystique episode. Uh -huh. uh, first, com actually, first several comments, um, I'll take them, are from Lizanne Oswald. Uh, impressive podcast, most impressive. I haven't been the biggest fan of Mystique. First saw her uh, in the... Uh, oh, the uh, it, she's using an acronym I'm not familiar with. The, the Marvel ha Official Handbook. Uh, the file card's the 89 version. That's classic X-Men... Uh, when Ms. Marvel fought her in an issue, and I was a big Rogue fan. I saw her here and there. I am also not a fan of this comic art style, but cool book. I would probably not be good as a secret agent of the X-Men. They'd probably send me to save Parker Posey and Rose McGowan. I'd break in... Uh, I'd break in, be a foot from the villain, saving these women from drowning, and I'd heroically sit there and make a sandwich, but kill the villains afterwards. <laughs> to get vengeance and then shake their hand and leave. <laughs> uh, oops, meant Posey Parker, not Parker Posey. My bad. <laughs> oh, almost forgot. I 
I still have the YouTube channel. That's Lizanne Oswald on YouTube. Yes, get the plugs in. I, I will I will not... You do it too. I will not knock anybody for doing that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lizanne. Yes. Uh, Rachel says, I was glad to hear you mention Destiny. If you have four minutes to spare, Google Marvel Straightening Up the House by Eruthros. Um, it's a fan video about Fox, Marvel Studios, and Disney's inability to include queer characters or straight washing can 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 canonical. Canonically, sorry, I'm not yet you said that word. Um, queer comics characters in their film adaptations. It's got some great panels of Mystique and Destiny from older Mystique stories. So oh, that nice. was something you had mentioned. Yes. Destiny. Uh, and then Tim Price, of course. Hi, Nathaniel and Liz. Well, the individual issues from this story are on Marvel Unlimited, so I was able to read it in a night. My very boring comment is, I agree with you two. The art could have been better, but overall a fun read. Brian K. Vaughn brought some interesting angles to Mystique's power and answered once and for all that her clothes are actually part of her, for good or ill. Yeesh. About her big move, bulking up in two faces, Mystique herself says she stays the same weight, so she looks physically impressive, but wouldn't be any stronger, and that, plus having to handle the looking in two directions at the same time, makes sense that it, quote, almost killed me. Uh, I also like the handler short pack. My silly question, which doesn't bother me, it's just silly, is where does he get his clothes? Are they custom-made or are they Ken doll clothes? Because nothing says comfort like 100% polyester, the poor guy. <laughs> Back to Mystique, I feel her character has definitely been adjusted over the years. Her original version was not ironic about evil mutants. She reveled in it. But I don't have a problem with the softening that's come in recent years now that she's a movie star. So thanks for covering this one. It was a good quick read. Until next time, my punchers. And that is valid. She was, I mean, she's always been a villain, but she was always more of just flat out evil at First introduction, I kind of prefer the nuance she's gained over the years. Yeah, that makes sense. Brian Linton says, I never got into the X-Men comics, so my only experience with Mystique is her appearance in the 90s cartoon show and the movies. As a result, I enjoyed learning about her history in print, particularly her transition from villain to reluctant anti-hero, which seems to be a common career path for baddies that are popular with the fans. Yeah. It's happened with her, it's happened with Emma Frost, it's happened with Sabretooth. X-Men particularly do yeah. that one a lot. Well, they have a wide array of characters to choose from. Yep. As for this particular book, it looks like the creators came up with some creative uses for Mystique's powers, which is a big selling point for me. Thanks for another great episode. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Sorry that we were so late on some of the feedback, but we will now move forward after a quick... Um, promo for another podcast. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Ah! Ah, no, no! Hey, man, killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. New Huntress Podcast, coming to you in 2019. Visit 
thehuntress89.blogspot.com for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, The Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of The Huntress Podcast at rightonnetwork.com. And go to Apple iTunes, where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli Podcast and the Cassandra Kane Batgirl Podcast. So go to Apple Podcasts, the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast. And we're back. So, boy, where do we even want to start? I've got, I've kind of got a list here. Do, um, you, do you have a preference? Wherever you would like to start. Okay. Well, why don't why don't we start with sort of the big obvious movie to talk about if we're talking about um, oh. female heroes? Let's start with Captain Marvel, and we don't have to dwell too long because we did talk about it when we when we did the issue of her com- the the graphic novel of her comic, mm-hmm. but. What's been nice for me is Captain Marvel ended up being one of those movies that the more distance I've had from it, the more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, oh, that really was good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I want to rewatch it, actually. I was like, I haven't seen it in a couple months. That's a long time to not see Captain Marvel. (laughs) No, I mean, again, it was great. She was great. Her chemistry with Samuel L. Jackson was just awesome like so much fun with it it was a fun movie yes yet still had some like important messages to it loved her relationship with maria was it yes um yeah it's again it's been too many months since i've seen it um who was also great like there was just a lot of great things about that movie and again it had that balance of fun but having like important messages at the same point in time, and like a little 90s nostalgia, which was fun as someone who grew up in the 90s. So. Yep, fair enough. I mean, for me, like, everything is encapsulated with that showdown with Jude Law that just basically doesn't happen. Because it really is just him standing there screaming, debate me, and she's just like, no, no, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not fighting you on the terms that you set. <laughs> Yep. And I love that. And the one other thing I'll mention, because I cannot remember if I brought this up before, um, and I thought of it since in the comment section, there was the talk of the canonically queer characters. Now, um, Captain Carol Danvers is not canonically queer in the comics. However, there is a really good YouTube video that um, did pretty well earlier in the year that makes a very compelling argument as to why the movie version of Captain Marvel Mm-hmm. is and i if i remember i will link that in the description uh for this podcast on fire and water net uh fire and water podcast.com if i can ever remember these things i'll try to help you remember uh, okay um, speaking of that kind of reminds me that there was a nice um a nice moment in uh in in game where they all the women were shown and like together and like attacking and it was like that female empowerment movement because marvel has finally figured out that they can have more than one woman oh my god it's crazy like that yeah that people still go to their and that they can have a female fronting superhero movie so yes so yeah i i suppose the one other one that i'll just just bring up to get out of the way because we did talk about before and i'll be quick about it because you didn't see it um and that was alita Mm-hmm. came out this year and 
I want to watch that one again because as much as it is a messy movie, and I would not argue that it's in any way streamlined, she is really good. Both both the way in which she's realized and the character. The character is incredibly well performed and put together. And that was what had to work. And it is. So I'm ki- I kind of have a soft spot for that movie, even though I have a hard time actively recommending it. Mm-hmm. But I was really glad for all the stuff that wasn't great that she was. Yeah. And that's so, what needed to be the selling point. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to touch on that again. Um, so stuff that we haven't talked about before on the show. Um, well, we have now, we are now, as of time of recording, caught up because new season doesn't start till next year on Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tim Meow Meow. Yes. <laughs> Legends of Tim Meow Meow. Oh, okay. Man, the show. It's so much fun. It's I mean, so there was, insane. It was not as, like, nothing will touch the season three finale in terms of just sheer enjoyment and love and pure legendness. It's yeah. insanity. Yeah. But it was still a very solid season. Um, I think we got Charlie this season, who we I did. love. Uh, Charlie was a fascinating character because for anyone who doesn't watch the show, there was a character in the earlier seasons called Amaya uh-huh. who came and went and she was fine. She was good. Yeah. She was solid. But in the in the fourth season, they brought in a shapeshifter who basically got stuck looking like Amaya. So they brought back the actress, mm-hmm. um, allowed her to speak in her natural accent, which I didn't realize till I looked up. Mm-hmm. And we got to see her just have fun because charlie is just very very punk very very here for the good time yeah she's a bit of a wild card which legend seems to <laughs> legends is very good at wrangling wild card characters yeah collect and they have so many different varieties of wild card too like yeah that's true <laughs> they really do um, so yeah, she was great. She was a great addition. We had the not so great addition of Mona. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. And that, and that was the big knock on the fourth season in general. Yeah, that Mona. Was, honestly, the main thing that brought it down was Mona. Mona hurt. So I don't know if there's a short, Mona was brought in to kind of be cute, but she was never cute. She was only ever annoying. Uh-huh. And she's and she's also one of those characters who drives the plot by virtue of being stupid and causing problems. Yep, which she did a lot of. Which she did a very large amount of, and she was almost never directly involved in the solutions. So she is there to cause problems that move the plot forward, and she is as much as... I'm not going to say she was devoid of endearing qualities, they were not sufficient to make up for how the character was the used. No. It was only slightly better by the end because she wasn't as central to the plot. Pretty much. Pretty there's There was that, a like midsection where there's like it was four like episodes Mona in the middle. And Ugh. I was like because I got ahead of you on the series and I was like, yep, I'm having some issues with one of the characters. And she hadn't been important yet in the beginning of the series. Like, they had introduced her. And then you hit her and you were like, oh, God. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. what I'm the, talking the about. The moment I realized that that was who you had been warning me about, I was like, oh, no. No, she doesn't become more important. I'm like, yep, <sighs> yep. They're going to take her on. Um, yeah. So that was a bummer. 
I mean, our our regulars were pretty. Well, we solid. had we had Sarah and Ava who are continuing to work their relationship, and I, for a show as off the wall as this is, they did I think a pretty good job dealing with, you know, development of a relationship issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was I really love the fact that they used a the disagreements that happen in an IKEA showroom as <laughs> as the uh, as the big meta point and the and the the thing around which they pivot them having a conversation about their relationship. Yeah. That, oh, didn't this this season also have them like doing a tango together? Yes. That was pretty pretty epic to watch. That, that was, was good. Sizzling. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was good. pretty good. <laughs> and Zari remained solid, even though yeah. she got a little bit of a romance and actually worked okay for me i didn't love it but i didn't hate it so yeah it was yeah that worked decently i always love sorry yeah but legends if legends would have been great if not for mona yeah um so (laughs) um let's talk let's talk about stranger things season three (laughs) yes uh which gave us robin Oh, I love Robin. Oh, how could you not rev- love Robin? Like, oh, my students are in awe of her. Uh, she's so smart. Greatest twist in the season. By yes. far. Which I think, you know, minor spoiler, but the thing is, it's not a plot or narrative spoiler. It's only a character spoiler, and it's not something it's that... It's delivered so well. It's done so perfectly. It's not anything the story hinges on. But also the season's been out long enough that if you really care, I think you would have seen it by now. But that's that's your warning. So towards the tail end of the season, she comes out mm-hmm. as lesbian. Uh-huh. And in it's... this wonderful scene, which also serves to get us to a second point because she comes out to Steve. Best babysitter ever. <laughs> So, in case you don't watch Stranger Things, but you're listening because you don't care about spoilers, Steve went from possessive douchebag in season one... Pretty much. ...to world's best babysitter in season two, i.e. protecting the younger kids with a baseball bat with nails in it... Uh-huh. ...to season three, gold star ally. I know! Go So, I would just like to nominate Steve Harrington as... A feminist icon of like 2019, which like who knew we would get there with him? But he he's solid. I mean, like this is a man who, you know, like starts out being possessive, then lets is like, no, my girlfriend has moved on. She's with someone else now, like my ex girlfriend, and then you know, starts hanging out with little kids that are super nerdy and dweeby and he was like the cool guy right yeah and like takes care of them realizes i i've graduated from high school and i'm stuck in the sailor outfit and i I probably (laughs) already i probably already peaked yeah he's he's a kid that he peaked in high school and he's he's realizing that i think much earlier than a lot of people who do that yeah. yeah, he's realizing it in, like, probably early 20s, late teens. Yeah. You know, and just, you know, this is, again, he listens to the sassy, which I, is, I know is a stereotype, but he listens to Erica, who's this, like, bossy little black girl. Like, how many 
white 19-year-old males, straight white my white males listen to a 10-year-old <laughs> in the in the 80s. In the 80s, in the 1980s. So that's wonderful and realizes yeah, she knows things better than I do. <laughs> you know, is a great ally like you know, really does fall hard for Robin. And when she, you know, comes out to him, isn't like, oh, dang, and blah, 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 but just kind of takes a minute, takes it in, and then starts ribbing her about, like, About the girl, the girl that she, she had a crush on. She's like, really? That was the best you could do? I, he's, I, I love that, though. He takes a second to shift gears from, I kind of have a crush on this girl, to, okay, well, let's, let's bro-tease then. Like, really? That's who you crushed on? Oh, come on. I know. And I, it's just a great moment because we do not often see in, in queer relationships and, like, queer to straight relationships, you always have the, like, straight female with the gay guy friend. You know, it's been done. That's true, actually, yeah. death and romantic comedies. And now, we, instead, we have the, like, straight male ally, which, with the, like, awesome Russian-speaking lesbian. So, which is what we always needed, but we didn't know Yes, it. It, was, it was that thing we, di we didn't know um, until we had it. So, I mean, and, like, he... He takes really good care of his hair too. You know, like well, he, yes, he, he manages understands the to have of all these embodiments of masculine traits, but none of the toxicity, which is something we've discussed before with him. Yes. But he's just great. Like, uh, I I Steve is up there for me. I mean, I also love Robin and in some ways I do love her more, but with Steve it's that journey he's been on and that slow progression where it's like no, you're just awesome, you know? <laughs> like, you're great. So, um, speaking of Stranger Things, I will mention that it was really nice that Max and Eleven's friendship, I enjoyed that. It gave yes. Max something to do. Yeah, because she got added in season two and she didn't really have a point. She didn't fully gel with And the they group worked either. really well as friends. They had a they, good chemistry. They did. They, they found a way to make her work. Um, so that was nice, and I honestly really liked it because some people were like, oh no, Eleven, like, you know, uh, uh, spoiler, um, you know, doesn't have her powers by the end of season three, and like, this is awful and stuff, and I was like, no, Eleven needs those emotional moments. She needs to grow as just a regular teenage girl, and like, not all feminism has to be like kicking butt and like tearing people apart literally you yeah know? like some sometimes it's taking the time to get yourself sorted i know Heaven she's forbid. dealing with some major stuff the loss of like a father figure and everything like it's it's a lot for her and so it's like it's okay for her to grow emotionally instead and like take a minute and yeah that's gonna affect her so yeah Fun feminist icons in strange ways. Well, that's, that's what Stranger Things gave us. Yes. Well, we have another unexpected <laughs> feminist icon. Well, I'm going to save that one. We're going to come back to that one. Oh, okay. We're going in we'll, another direction. We'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, just because I don't have another place to put this, I want to sort of pause and sort of retouch on a couple of things that we actually covered, I think, both this year. Okay. Um, I might have mentioned this before, but one is Princeless. My daughter is now reading that series. Mm-hmm. 
and loving it. So that has her seal of endorsement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and I would the, like to read more of those eventually, too. I now have, like, five volumes of it at my house. Oh, my gosh. She, she will read through one of those in a day in one session. She is nice. not messing around. Um, but the other thing is uh, Prince and the Dressmaker. Mm-hmm. So this both made me happy and angry in the space of about five minutes. So I took my kid to the book fair. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yep. To the book fair at her school. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't, you know, I talked to her if she'd be interested. She wasn't, but like, I liked it enough that I wanted a copy. So Mm -hmm. she, she picked some Pokemon stuff and I, (laughs) and I grabbed that for myself and I was very happy to see it there. Uh But when it got rung up, the system automatically halted the purchase and told the person bringing it up to alert me that the book had adult themes and to make sure that I was okay with that. And that, I I don't know how chill I was able to communicate this, but I did say to the person, because she didn't know why. Mm-hmm. It didn't, and it didn't give her context, it just told her that. Yeah. And I said... She didn't know the book. She so. didn't know the book, but I told her, I've read it before, I know what they're talking about, and it's literally the premise of the book. There is nothing objectionable in here unless you have a fundamental problem with the idea of a boy in dresses. Mm-hmm. So if that's the reason they're flagging it, and I can't think of any other, that that's what you can tell to anyone who tries to buy it. The supposed offensive, uh, or I'm sorry, mature, mature content mm-hmm. is the premise of the book, which you would already know reading the back of it. So there's no surprises in here. Nope. If someone, if somebody picked it up, read the back and wanted to buy it, they will be fine to do so. But that really irritated me <sighs> yeah, that it, that it set off a flag fair. like that. But it does not surprise me. It doesn't surprise me it, either. This but this is a scholastic <laughs> book fair? Yes, it was. So scholastic, my beef with them, um, which was prior to this, because this just adds to my beef with them, is that, um, they're the, um... Publishers of George, um, which is also a, it's a book about a transgendered fourth grader. Yeah. And so I figured that they publish it. They must have it in their book fair. No, they do not put it in their book fair. I was like, where's George? They're like, no, it's not part of our book fair. I'm like, but you publish it. Like, it's not one it's, of those it's ones your that you book. It. And it was like the year I was supposed to have all the award winners you know, or the war nominees. So I'm like, well, you have all these other ones that aren't, that you're getting from other publishers in here and you don't have your own that's an award nominee? Yeah. And they're like, no, we don't. And I was like, oh, all right then. Yeah, so it doesn't, that is why it doesn't surprise me is that, yeah, they self monitor their own content to a ridiculous degree and it's BS. and i'm not gonna say i don't get it because i mean i i understand that they operate nationwide and they basically have to set a standard that is used in every state and like so from a business perspective i get it but if you're going to make the stance that you will carry the stuff or publish the stuff at all then just freaking stand by it yeah if you could just hear me roll my <laughs> eyes right now <laughs> on they, the they, podcast. They might well have been able to. Yes. Uh, 
Um, okay, so here's one I had down that people might either not be thinking about anymore because it was way back at the beginning of the year or might not be thinking about it for this context. Lego Movie 2. I, the more I think about that movie, the more I really like it, and I especially like the way that it tackles, and, and it's broadly speaking, it's borderline stereotypical, but it's what it has something to say about the ways in which girls play versus the way in which boys play because that ultimately that is at the core of the clash between characters mm -hmm. because the ones that are being played with by the sister mm -hmm. are all horrendously um you know side-eyed and like this isn't right by all the ones being played with by the brother and the more i thought about that and you know rewatched it and all this stuff i'm like this is this is devilishly subtle and really clever yeah it's a great movie i it also gives it lets wild style come into her own yeah which is nice because a lot of people had some complaints about that in the first movie where you know that she was just kind of ended up getting shoehorned into being a love interest for emmett but she really drives a lot of the plot um it's got the queen queen whatever Queen oh. Whatever, who is amazing and so much fun. Um, and I was a Tiffany Haddish fan before this, but like it makes me more of one. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's got Maya Rudolph. Yes. Done. Done. Yeah. Like Maya Rudolph in a cameo, like stepping on Legos and pulling the mom bit that is <sighs> anyone or even like a friend of a mom of whose son has Legos, I might be getting a little specific here, <laughs> has you, stepped on the Legos. Or I think it's possibly worse when you kneel on them on your knee. That's pretty awful, too. So what we're saying is, Karen, make him pick up his Legos <laughs> off the floor, please. That's that's the point we're she getting tries, to. She tries. She tries. I know she does. <laughs> I know. Um, what else do we have? Okay, so there's a couple here that I know you haven't seen. Um, but why don't so why don't we do one that you have seen that I haven't, uh -huh. which is Russian Doll. Yes. Um, so that one was one I. It's a weird one, but I liked it, and I just want to give a shout out um, to N Natasha Leone for that because this was her baby. Yeah. I mean, she's. Starring in it, um, co-created it, co-wrote it. Co-wrote like, some of the episodes. She directed the finale. She directed the finale. It is a weird head trip. It's also one where you need to kind of power through certain episodes. Because the first one, you kind of get drawn in. And then it's the see-me for a while. Because, it again, you're on a loop. It yeah. is a timey-wimey kind of thing. And... Then they throw in an alternating, they throw in a new character, which kind of livens things up. And it's really good. And I'm glad to see that it got some like Golden Globe attention. And like, it's, it's weird. And it's not for everyone, but I did enjoy it. And like, all power to Natasha, because it is, it is goes some dark places. It goes some weird places, but it is an interesting trip to be on. So... It's one of those ones that I'm like saving till like I feel like I'm in a headspace where I'll be able to yeah, take it in and be okay. You you got to go some dark places with it and you it's it it does but you, you yeah, you have to sit down and think and I I'm glad that it's not a long series because it 
uh, there was definitely that point before they threw the new character in where I was like, I'm getting tired of this. I don't know. And then they threw that in and that livened it up and they played enough with the rest of it that, yeah. And I've heard, I don't know, I've heard multiple things that it's had like a second season that's going to have a second season or not. I kind of don't want it to, but... Yeah. Well, you also had the experience of a show you liked getting a second season mm. and then... I really angry. didn't want that to have a second season. We weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> well, you, you made me think of it now. Oh, you can yeah, just touch on it quickly. I did not like the second season of Big Little Lies. It was a lot of just, you know, showboating for Meryl Streep and... Um, what's her face? Lord... Laura Dern, sorry. I'm turning away because I really didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing things, um, literally. And it, the characters that I actually cared about, like any storyline I liked was underdeveloped. So I would have liked more time with Zoe Kravitz or like if they had actually really developed Shailene Woodley's storyline but they didn't really like it, it was too much time spent on storylines I didn't like and I didn't want them to make the season anyways and I think hopefully they're done because I think a lot of people felt the same way I did <laughs> there you, you can't just plug Meryl Streep into a thing and have it work it... no uh, yeah so let's move on from that moving on from that all right <laughs> I, I'll let you take a breather I'll cover a couple things that you haven't seen yet <laughs> So I want to touch on Toy Story 4 briefly because the, Toy Story 4 did a lot of things I was really fascinated by and I didn't think it was going to be good. Like on principle, the instant I heard, they're making Toy Story 4, I was like, that'll stink. Um, it didn't. It was really, really good. But specifically for our purposes, what happened with Bo Peep was especially interesting because she's been out of the franchise since the second one. Mm -hmm. And... She becomes the first toy, real, the first well-adjusted toy who has moved on from the need to be long to a kid. Wow. Which is something that hasn't really been in the films because either, you know, you have your hero characters like, Wood and Buzz, like Woody and Buzz who um, are very much, their identity is very much tied into being Andy's toys. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, I God, I forget the name of the girl they now belong to. But ne you know, now being her toys, mm -hmm. and a lot, and then you've either had that or you've had characters made spiteful by the fact that they aren't like the the prospector in the second one or uh, lots of hugging bear in the third one. You know, the loss of that basically broke them. So mm -hmm. to have someone who was a child's toy isn't anymore, is no longer defined by that relationship, and came out okay on the other side of that, uh, was really kind of a fascinating thing to see. And I think is one of the reasons that Toy Story 4 is actually has a lot to say about maturity and moving on to a next phase in your life where you don't have to keep defining yourself by the same means all the time. You can change how you measure yourself. And wow. it's, I was, I was super impressed with that movie and she has a, the way she was used as a character has a lot to do with that. Nice. Um, and I'll just quickly touch on Frozen 2. I don't have a ton to say. I have not seen it. You haven't seen it. It's not mm -hmm. as good as the first one. It's not bad, but it suffers because you have to compare it to the first one. Mm. 
Um, and the main thing it doesn't have is a strong thematic core because the theming in the first one was really strong. And and more to the point, all the narrative things tied into the themes and the major relationships, whereas there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the second one that doesn't tie back to anything. There isn't a thematic reason to do that. And I don't automatically hold films to that standard. Mm-hmm. But when its immediate predecessor was so well thought out that everything tied back to its themes and this one fails to do that, I just... Uh. And fails to give Elsa a girlfriend. <laughs> <sighs> they... You knew that wasn't going to really happen. Well, I knew that was gonna, that wasn't going to really... Here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. And I will only... Again, I will only say this because Disney has pissed me off in this realm before. Mm-hmm. They did not make the mistake they did with Beauty and the Beast. Which is to say, oh, we totally have a gay character in here and then not back it up. They just didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Now, what they did could be argued as being queer baiting because they do have Elsa share scenes with a character that there's obviously nothing going on there, but is very much feels like all of the people who want to ship her with a girl, here's who it would be. Uh, now go okay. crazy. Like, there's nothing in the film itself directly hinting at that, but it does feel like she was put into frame with this other woman strictly so that people could ship them together. It really did kind of feel like that a bit. Yep, and this is why I'm not really a huge Disney princess fan. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just not worth getting invested in. Fair enough. Uh, so oh, I did hear that, like, what's-his-face, Kristoff was, like, a like got boyfriend points or something in this one. Uh no. 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 You're not Christo- you. No. Kristoff is useless in this. Oh. And okay. he ta- he takes this whole thing that is about these sisters and something pulling and potentially pulling them apart and makes it about him and how he feels left behind. Well, no. apparently other people had different feelings than you. They're, they're wrong. Like... <laughs> they're wrong. No. Kristoff is I not... Again, I don't know because I haven't seen the second one. Kristoff so. is not a bad boyfriend in this by any stretch. Okay. However, he has no he has no function in the story. There's no reason for him to be there. And his big song, which is funny, but his big song is, I feel left behind, oh, woe is me. Shut up, dude. She's dealing with other stuff right now. The only thing that I can think that he gets boyfriend points for is that he shows up at the end and basically just rolls with what Anna tells him to do and trusts her and doesn't... I think that's what he was getting points for. Everyone should listen to Anna. She's feisty. Okay, I guess, but that was already... And emotional core. That was already the baseline of their relationship. That's already where they were. Yeah, that's true. So... No, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not giving him points. Mm-hmm. Again, he's not a bad boyfriend. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be in the movie. Um, <laughs> he just doesn't need to. No, be there. doesn't need to be there. Um, okay, so we've kind of got three things left to do, and I'm trying to think of the order to this. Okay, why don't we? All right, we're gonna touch on the things that we are both interested to see but haven't yet, mm-hmm. either because they aren't out or we miss them. Mm-hmm. Then we'll talk about something that was rough for both of us. Then we'll then we'll get around, and we'll end on your other surprise feminist icon of the year. Oh my god! I we'll love end her so much. We'll end on that. <laughs> but first, so there were there were basically three movies that I think both of us really wanted to see or want to see because some of these aren't out yet. Yeah. And those were Hustlers, 
Mm -hmm. um, which Jennifer Lopez uh, now has what a Golden Globe nomination for? I guess so. But there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of people in that cast that I like. I mean, I it's got the woman who plays um, Betty from Riverdale in it. It's mm. got I think it's Constance Wu who's in. Um, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, who I loved in that. Like, I'm like, give all these actresses to me. Yes. I mean, like, just seeing the trailers looked really cool because it, it's, first of all, it's based off a true story, which I love. Uh -huh. Second of all, like, vibe-wise, it's like, is this Lady Goodfellas? Because I'm totally down for Lady Ooh, Goodfellas. That could be fun. And that's, and that really is kind of what they've sold it as. And I do want to see it, and I've heard good things. Um, there's also Bombshell, which I don't think is out at time of recording. I don't know. It's it's If it is, it might be limited release. Yeah, it's coming up soon. So that's the one about basically everything blowing up at Fox News with all the sexual harassment allegations finally coming Shocking forward. Shocking that that happened. I know, wasn't it? <laughs> so Whoever would have No. Gosh, that they were dirtbags? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to claim political neutrality on this. I kinda I'm wanna, sorry. I kind of want to see Fox News get dunked on. I'm not going to even pretend to be unbiased yeah. on that. That said, I hope it is a good movie because I've also said in the past... I don't automatically like something for sharing my politics. If it sucks, it sucks. Mm -hmm. So I hope it doesn't. And then... I want to see Little Women. Yeah. I like... I, Little Women was one of those books I read every year for a couple years growing up. I love, love, love the Winona Ryder version. Um, yeah. And I'm excited for it. Um, Though they they are very blonde in it. It's I was gonna a, say that was an interesting complaint you registered. I was like, why are they, why? I mean, Meg is the only one with somewhat dark hair. I feel like, and I was like, I'm I'm used to, you know. <sighs> it, it's just funny to be sitting next true. to a blonde complaining about too many blondes in a movie. Well, it's true. They, yeah. Anyways, I'm excited for it. It looks good. Um, I mean, I would be excited for any version of that. So yeah. fair enough. So we had the thing that when it struck me that it happened this year and we need to talk about it, you gave me this look like, do we really? Uh, yeah, because everyone everyone wants to move on from that. They do, but and but we're going to have a narrower scope and we'll try not to dwell on it. Okay. Game of Thrones Season 8. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <sighs> At least Sansa became queen in the north and like that that was that was a high point. Sansa, I mean... Sansa in general, they did not ruin her character. Sansa came off okay. I mean, I've seen some people complain, but I I think if you're going to complain about her, you're just complaining about the writing of everybody at that point. If, if you're grading on the scale of where the show is overall, she comes off fine. She's good. Um, and she Ar has a couple good moments with the Hound. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Arya was fine. Other than sleeping with... Um, I mean, even Gendry, Gendry. E even that, I disliked the moment, Ugh, but... I'm so tired of losing their virginity story. I am too, <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't think it was character damaging because that is still how it would go down for her if she made that choice. So while I'm not happy that was there, mm -hmm. the depiction was character accurate. Mm-hmm. I guess. The same cannot be said for oh, Brienne God. of Tarth. I, I, when I was saying that, I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. We have to revisit Brienne. And that was just <sighs> soul-crushing. 
Oh God. I'm gonna sleep with a guy I have a crush on and then cry and not be in the story for the rest of the frigging show. Well, she came up briefly, but yeah, it was. It was so, and she was such a good character up until that moment, and like, though they really just ruined Jamie too. There are so many characters they. I mean, that's the thing. We, Danny, Brienne. We're narrowing it by by focusing on the female characters, but yes, a lot of the male they ruined the Hound, honestly. Because I don't think that as much as the, you do. The more I think about it, the more I do not buy him willing to die for that fight anymore. Because, like, the last two or three seasons worth with him was about leaving that crap behind. Mm-hmm. And for that, landing behind. For him to then come back and die for the sake of revenge against somebody who is effectively already dead? No, I'm sorry. Very's death hurt through. Well, that, that was uh, Okay, we've gotten on the guys. Setting the guys okay, aside. Okay, setting them aside. But, like, seriously, that whole... Uh, it, it hurt. Um, and it really hurt some of our female characters, though. So. Oh, and oh, can we... Let, I almost forget that Cersei was in that season because all she did was stand in a window... Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. ...and then die in a... and then get crushed by rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? Oh. Wow. Not the way that woman should have gone out. Like, that yeah. was... It. She gone out like a boss. And, oh. of course, at the heart of everything with that, Daenerys. <laughs> which didn't hurt us as much as Brienne, because we liked Brienne more than Daenerys, I think, for both of I us. I think it hurt a lot of people more than it did us. I All think the so people too, who, yeah. na- who named their daughter Khaleesi. Oh boy. <laughs> now regretting it. Yeah, seriously. Here was the thing with that. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that what they did with her could not be made to work. Mm-hmm. But they didn't earn it. They didn't put the work in they, yeah. to actually earn what they did with her. Yeah. It, it was, uh... does not work. <sighs> So, well, put that sucker to bed. And let's come back to actually a surprise, a show with a surprising amount of great feminist characters, or female characters, and one a new feminist icon. <laughs> Unexpected feminist icons of 2019. So, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, uh-huh. which is the Jim Henson puppetry prequel show for the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of cool things. We've got some really cool characters like with Deet. I love Deet. Deet, who's adorable. Uh-huh. Um, and scary. <laughs> by and the end. Potential, <laughs> potential to be scary. We have one of the... Uh, we have a interesting sort of Gelfling, uh, by the end, kind of villain leaning with Celadon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually... The, the Gelfling society is established to be matriarchal. Mm-hmm. Like flat out, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. We have Brie. Yep, yep. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just a good show, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to forget that Agra's a woman only because the voice is so, eh, but mm-hmm. she's she's an interesting one. Too. She is, but ultimately for you, it was one of the Skeksis characters. It was gnarly Skeksy. Yeah. The, the one with the pustules. She was amazing. 
voiced by Aquafina, and it was so, she was the grossest thing ever. Now, here's the thing about when you usually have a villainous female, they have to be sexy. Like, they're usually seen as pretty or sexy or, like, you know, smoldering or something. She is none of those things. She is just so nasty. And I loved every, like, pus-filled moment of it. It was amazing. She was so gross and whiny and just, like, bursting with pus. Literally at the end. And so, I loved her. Uh, yeah. Because I've I've heard you ramble about her, and I really I forget if this was your exact words, but you said something to the effect of, "Feminism is having the freedom to be gross, <laughs> yes, and, and no she... longer having to be beautiful just because you're female." Yes, and she so fulfills that to the max. Like she's everything I ever wanted in a nasty feminist icon. Like <laughs> she's so gross. She whines. She's conniving. She's not really super central to the plot, other than just getting pus everywhere. (laughs) She just oozes on everything. A level. I know. She's so gross, and I love her for it. She's, yeah, she's definitely my favorite Skeksis, (laughs) and one of my favorite characters in that. So there you go, folks. I don't think anybody would have called that one our fe- our feminist icon of 2019. The Collector, the Snarly Skeksis from Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. She will be forever remembered and sorely missed. Oh, yeah. But that's going to wrap up this year for us. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and thanks for joining us on this crazy thing and if you um have not already done so you can consider supporting the network on patreon such as our the lovely carowin does who uh gets a shout out on this specific podcast and you can do the same um as well as other rewards at other tiers of support so thank you all for listening uh that's one more year behind us and here we go into the next one may it be filled with more gnarly skexies (laughs) all the <laughs> Gross pus to you in the new year. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and a presentation of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for Fire and Water Podcast and Council of Geeks. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is composed and performed by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye!